<laughs> Welcome to Cracked with Siobhan Aris. Today I'm joined by Neely Cooper, one of my favorite stained glass artists. Not only is she a glass artist, but she's also a jewelry maker. She's a teacher. She's now an author. She makes patterns. Uh, she's a glass installation guru and just all around an incredible artist whose bio and list of accomplishments it was, it was so much that it was hard for me to include all into one episode. Oh, and if you feel like her name sounds a little familiar, but you're not exactly sure from where, she's the creator of That Glass Cabin. You know the one I'm talking about. You've seen it. It's on your Pinterest and your Instagram. Join me now as we crack it all wide open. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you so exciting. much for doing this. I'm a huge fan of your work. I'm maybe your biggest fan. Um, <laughs> back in 2017, I wrote you a message and I just said, hey, you don't know who I am, but I'm a huge fan of your work. Um, I didn't hear back from you, but <laughs> no, it's totally fine because then a couple years later, um, I did that taste made home takeover and you reached out to me and you were like, you did an amazing job. And that was like, for me, it was like an Oscar winning actress reaching out to somebody and being like, I saw you on a reality show. And I just want you to know that I'm a really big fan. Like you, it was, it meant so much to me. So that was really sweet. And then a couple of weeks ago, I had an art show here in the Berkshires and you, you came, you showed up and you supported. So thank you. Well, it was, I was thrilled to meet you. It was so awesome that I happened to be in town right when you had the show. So it was really neat to, to meet you and see your work in person. It's gorgeous. So thank you. Um, yeah, it was great to see you too. Yeah. And so, I'm thrilled about this podcast too. I'm so, I had to say yes, because I'm just so excited that you're doing this. We talked about this, but there's not a lot of content for stained glass in general, um, there is sort of a resurgence, I would say the word, um, Renaissance has been thrown around quite a bit, which, um, I'm not sure what to make of that word, but, um, I'll take it. Uh, yeah, but I, myself was looking for a podcast to listen to one day. I was like, I want, you know, I wonder if there's anything about stained glass, you know, a little idea stirring. And I was like, I want to start a podcast. I want to, I want to talk about glass with cool people that, um, might want to talk with me about it. And you are at the top of the list of people that I definitely want to talk to about glass. Yay. Well, this is going to be fun. You're not only a stained glass artist, but you're also a jewelry maker. Uh, did the jewelry come first before stained glass? No, stained glass definitely came first. I went to college for graphic design. While I was there, I took a little stained glass workshop, a non-credited thing, just because I didn't want to be on the computer all day. So I took this class and loved it, loved the stained glass and just did that. Never got a graphic design job, just stuck with the stained glass. Um, and took, you know, started doing little craft shows. And this is before Etsy was even a thing. So it was craft shows and selling to friends and, um, and then taking little commissions here and there, you know, people would say, can you make me a window? And I figured out, I had a local mentor, but work with him and figured out, you know, how to make windows and how to do larger projects. And then started doing the jewelry for fun. And then Etsy happened. And I started doing the jewelry more and more and more um, because it's small, easy to ship. So it definitely worked well for Etsy. Um, 
Back in the day, Etsy used to be, actually be cool. It was really not. I remember. Stuff. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Everything was handmade. Everything was really personal interactions with the artists, and it was really special. I feel like it changed my life completely. So it's kind of sad to see how it's no longer that. No longer all handmade things, but I still use it. Um, so, but so that's why I really, really got into the jewelry because it was, you know, easy to ship easy to make and I loved making it and I really focused on it for a long time but then I started feeling like it kind of ran its course um I'm not one who loves to do the same thing over and over again so I was kind of getting bored with it um wanted to do get back to doing more stained glass things so so it's kind of when I built the cabin because okay I really- and so when you made the cabin which you know if you guys haven't seen this cabin, I mean, this, this place really resonates with people. I mean, it really, really stands out as like such a fantastical fantasy, almost like it's very like fairy tale esque um, glass cabin. And I read online that it's made mostly of recycled materials, correct? Yes. And- it's all recycled um, wood, lumber, and all um, old reclaimed window frames that are uh, filled with my stained glass. So I knocked out all the old glass, recycled a lot of the clear glass back into the pieces. Mm-hmm. And so it's, um, I think it's, I don't know the exact number. It's something like 50 or more old window frames cladding the wow. whole thing. Yeah. Wow. And how many square feet is the cabin? It is. So in my town, to in order to... Um, avoid having to get building permits and, and inspections. So it, uh, anything under a hundred square feet doesn't require any inspections. And I building it, I had no idea if this would pass ins- an inspection, if it's up to code, it's the ceiling, the walls, it's all glass um, and not safety glass, not tempered glass. So, so I made it, it's uh, eight by 12. So it's 96 square feet. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah. And did you build it by yourself or did you I have- built it uh, with my boyfriend, my partner's father, my father-in-law, my partner and I are not married, but we've been together 20 something years. So I call him my father-in-law. Um, he was a retired dentist, but really handy, uh, did a lot of, um, built some furniture, just, just really good with tools and stuff. So he was retired and I asked him to help me out with it. And he was got so into it he was he was having so much fun he would show up every day Home Depot was on his way here so we would show up with you know everything we needed with all the screws and everything um and we built it over the course of a summer a few months in the summer we built it together I didn't know anything about building so it was really it was a learning project for me yeah that was my next question I'm like are you handy was this like a, a first time experience for you to, to build something of that magnitude? Definitely. I think I'm handy. Like I know how to use a saw and a screwdriver and a drill, but, um, but this was definitely beyond anything I'd ever done before. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it's, it is something I feel like, yeah, that, that cabin is, is amazing. And is it on your property? It is. It's in my backyard. So um, we have about an acre. I live in a little um, little lake community in northern New Jersey. Um, most of the lots are really small, but we have this long, narrow lot that's about an acre. So it's behind the house, but it's set back a bit from the house. So you can 
see the house from it, but I've aimed away towards the woods. So when you're in there, it feels like you're out in the woods. You can't really see the neighbors, um, but it's really just a, a suburban lot and it's right behind my house. But yeah. when, in pictures, I never show any other structures or anything in it feels like it's out in the woods. Yeah. yeah, it does. It feels like it's literally in a storybook. Like it does not feel like you would, you know, you'd, you'd have to walk for, for miles to see the closest house. And you'd probably be wearing a pinafore if you were walking through the <laughs> woods with like a satchel full of salted meats and maybe some bread to get you like it, you know, it very much takes you to a different place and a different time. Um, now, what do you do with the cabin when you're not photographing it, do you make stained glass inside there? I'll do some things out there. I do a lot of drawing, designing, sketching out there. Um, and I'll do maybe some foiling, but not mm -hmm. the not the messy glass work. I don't do any cutting or, or soldering or anything because it is a small space. Yeah. Um, and I don't really want it to be a workspace that much. It's mm -hmm. more of a hangout space. I read I sleep out there quite a bit when it's not too hot and not too cold. There's no um, climate control. There's no heat or AC. So, but I do love sleeping out there um, and just hang out, hang out with friends, drink some beers. It's kind yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. It's like, it really is like, it's like a tree house for adults. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wish it was a tree house. That would be the dream. That's maybe the next project sometime down the road. I would love if it, was, if it was up in the trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That would be really cool. Um, so the cabin, did you make the cabin? And then was that kind of like the catalyst for you to be just focusing only on stained glass? Was that kind of where you felt like you had like a stained glass breakthrough? I, it really is. I mean, I still kept doing, doing the jewelry for a while, but, um, but by doing the cabin, before the cabin, any stained glass commissions I had, it was whatever the client wanted. It would be a Frank Lloyd Wright window, style window, and then right. a Victorian, and then whatever. And I and I love that. That's fine. I was adapting to that. But now that I've done the cabin and it sort of went viral and so many people have seen it, people now come to me for that type of work. And that, of course, because it's, you know, what I made because I it's the dream project. Um, it's in the style that I f feel personal about. It's, it's in, you know, it's, it's me. So now people come to me for that, which is amazing. It's completely changed, um, changed the type of work I do. So have you ever had anybody show up to the cabin, to your property unannounced? Yeah, I have yeah. a couple times, a couple times. Um, it's awkward, but it's okay. You know, if it's all right. If, if they want to come um people are I did have this one lovely couple come by they didn't come unannounced but they were in my town unannounced they said hey we happen to be in your town we really really want to see the last cabin can we come by and I said sure and they get here and they're from they're traveling from Utah and to see they, to the, see cabin? The, the cabin they oh. were doing so it was, they were they were awesome. They were sweethearts. So they decided to do a little road trip. Um, so I get this message, and they're down the road. They're at a restaurant down the road. So I ha I had to say, yeah, come on over. Yeah. It's very awkward, but they ended up being the nicest people in the world, and they invited me. We vacation in Utah, 
they invited me to come uh, visit them. This was right before COVID, sadly. So, um, so we didn't keep in touch, but next time I'm in Utah, I probably will. <laughs> if you're listening, yeah, <laughs> Neely needs a place to stay in Utah. If any listeners are in Utah, uh, and have an, an extra room, she's, she's in the market. Well, this um, gal had a house right on Brighton, um, out oh, in Brighton nice. ski area. So nice. <laughs> yeah. We need more friends like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you find yourself doing more commissions now or do you, are you able to sort of spend most of your time in the studio being creative and making things you like? Yes. Um, so for a while after building the cabin, I was getting really fun, smaller commissions and really enjoying them. If you follow me, you've probably seen some of the, some good ones. I did a huge peacock, which was really, really fun. Um, some other really great projects that people, that came from people finding the cabin. Um, and then also I've been able to just do projects similar to the windows that are in the cabin, but just pieces for sale. Um, previously I'd been selling on smaller things, little sun catchers, smaller panels, but because of the attention that came from the cabin and reaching a wider audience through Instagram, I was able to sell, I am able to sell, um, you know, larger, more expensive pieces that feel more like pieces of fine art than craft. Yeah. Um, so it, I, I'm thrilled to be kind of moving into that area of, of it feeling more like art. Yeah. 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 Um, I love that. I, I say that a lot about my work too, is that I'm trying to elevate the conversation I'm having with my viewer or person looking, whoever's looking at my, my work, I, I really want it to transcend the craft realm and kind of be more fine art. Like, you know, let's take it up notch. Let's, you know, I'm not making crafts. I'm making art. Yeah. And I think I really you're see that with your stuff too. I completely see it in your work. That's why I'm drawn to your work. It, it feels elevated. It's, um, even in just in your color palettes and your, you know, the, the abstract exploration of not doing, um, my work's very illustrative, I feel, but yours is just the abstract and the um, shapes and colors. So yeah, I definitely feel like you're sort of in the elevating it from craft. Not that there's anything wrong with just doing crafty things either, that there's Absolutely. a place for that, but I've been doing it so long. I've been doing stained glass for 20, some 25, 26 years. Um, I'm happy that personally, I'm able to have an evolution within the craft in within the art yeah um, so about two years ago yeah just about two years ago I got an email from Rob Samuels at Maker's Mark yeah 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 um, I have so many questions about that and I'm, <laughs> have, I'm cheers, cheers. My <laughs> I'm Maker's Mark. Up here. <laughs> yes um I'm just drinking mine on ice but it's mm -hmm. quite delicious mm -hmm. thank you Maker's Mark so I got an email from Rob Samuels and I was like, okay, who's Rob Samuels? So I look him up. He's the third generation distiller at Maker's Mark. He's the oh, CEO wow. of the company. He's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. He's the guy. So, okay. Let's, he, he's interested in having me do, he saw the cabin online somewhere, Instagram or, or actually his wife did. His wife's really into art. Um, so is he. And and um, saw it and just reached out and said, let's do a project together. So I said, of course, I said, of course, 
So he invited me down and we toured the grounds. There was talk of doing a little cabin like mine, a little tasting room that would be out in the woods, which I was really excited about. Um, but we Wait, eventually- where, where is this? Where was the tour? Oh, they're in Kentucky. They're in okay. Loretta, Kentucky. It's about an hour south of Louisville. Okay. Um, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous campus where the distillery is. Um, so Maker's Mark is three gener- goes three generations back, but the Samuels family goes, I think, seven or eight generations back in the same spot in Kentucky. This, it's, um, there's been distilling on this property for at least 100 years. It goes, goes back quite a ways. So they're redoing the bottling line. And so this is where we ended up settling on where my piece would go. It's going to be the entrance to the bottling line. Um, wow. It's a glass vestibule, like a, almost like a shoebox out of glass. And it's going to be covered in my stained glass. So it's a huge, wow. huge project. Um, so the front wall will all be glass and the side wall will be, will be glass. And then you'll enter um, and there will be some displays, um, which also will have some stained glass on them. It's going to be very, uh, a lot of stained glass in this room. And then you'll enter, th- walk through this vestibule and enter another door to go into the bottling line. Um, and it's wow. the bottling line. It's crazy. It's just this cacophony of noise and there's bourbon flowing all over the place and you can smell it. And, um, I, if you're familiar with Maker's Mark, uh, the bottle has this red dripping wax mm-hmm. on it there they hand dip all of those bottles so there's cool. um workers in there dipping the bottle and there's just wax all over the place so it's this really really crazy visual space to be in so this yeah. so you're going to walk through my stained glass on your way into there um if you are there taking a tour that's so cool yeah. And how do you even, how do you, so he said, did he say, I have an idea, but I don't know exactly what I want. Cause you guys obviously landed on that after you started speaking, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we, we talked about a whole bunch of different ideas. I did a couple of presentations. Um, and then we, yes, we settled on this being the space and they did not give me much of a creative brief to follow. They, we decided that this piece would honor Margie Samuels, who's Rob Samuels, the current CEO, is his grandmother and the co-founder of the brand. So Margie Samuels came up with the idea, the, the name maker's mark. She came up with the red dripping wax and the shape of the bottle and the logo. So she, before, before bourbon companies were hiring PR departments and graphic design departments. She does, she did all of this work. Um, so she's, and she also is the first, she's recognized as the first person to invent or to implement um, bourbon hospitality. So they're the first brand that invited people to come visit and tour the distillery. And they've really, really made that a part of their wow. brand. And it's really thanks to Margie, you know, now there's the whole bourbon trail that you can go and tour all these different distilleries, but Maker's Mark was really the first one that did that. So this project is, um, the whole theme is to honor Margie. So throughout the design, there's all these references to the things that she brought to the brand. There's obviously a lot of like red dripping, dripping wax and um, 
to kind of reference the hospitality aspect of it, I've got depression glass plates kind of running through it. Like I'm using the whole plates and they'll wow. also add like a lot of texture and sparkle. And, uh, and Are they almost like big rondelles? Yeah. They kind of like look, look like rondelles uh, or like jewels. There's also a lot of jewels in there. So, cause we wanted a lot of sparkle, a lot of light moving around. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are really cool. And they are just the pieces, copper foil. Um, and those just get copper foiled and soldered in just like, just like a piece of glass and they're incorporated. And then all of this is surrounded by a lot of the, the concept is almost as if the structure is decorated for a party in Margie's honor. So it's sort of these buntings, um, and lots of florals. I love what you see going on right now in floral design with these big, huge floral installations with clusters of floral flowers and, and swags of flowers. So I was inspired by that and kind of brought that into the stained glass. And then all of the components of these decorations are bourbon related or related to what Margie brought to the brand. So there's lots of oak because the bourbon is aged in oak and acorns and that also sort of um, refers to the generational aspect of it. You know, that the acorn is sort of like the next generation taking over to, to run the brand. Um, and this is all stuff that you thought of. Yeah, you know, just by visiting there and soaking mm -hmm. up everything I could there and researching bourbon, researching the brand, um, I just wanted to bring, you know, my work, they came to me because of the work that I do, which is a lot of nature themed. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took that as, the cue to like keep those nature themes, but have them relate to bourbon or have yeah. them relate to Margie Samuels. So, um, so it does that. And it's not so literal. It's not just like, this is a bourbon barrel. This, there's, there's wheat and there's barley um, and there's oak, but it's not like super literal. Yeah. Just, which I think is so great. So the people walking through can pick up on things here and there whatever, yeah. whatever they relate to, instead of it being like, this is the story. Of right. Life. Right. Um, it's not so just I, like a portrait of her and like, yeah, totally. Yeah. So when you, okay. So they say, we want you to make this big piece. We have some, a couple thoughts, come on down, come look at the space, tell us what you think. And then you guys land on the vestibule and sort of like square footage. Now, I think probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast will be stained glass artists. And one of the hardest things about being a stained glass artist, at least for me, is figuring out how to price my items for commissions specifically. Um, you know, my mother-in-law is the one who taught me how to do stained glass. And she has a formula that she uses in terms of like materials, obviously. And then she has like, you know, she pays herself a certain amount per hour, which is hard. I feel like at the jump sometimes with projects because you don't know how long it's going to take you, especially for something that grand. So what's your process? Like, how do you price a commission? Cause you guys probably talked about what you wanted first, got all that locked in. And then you talked about money. Is that how it works? Yeah. Well, with, with Maker's Mark specifically, we went really far into this project before we even discussed money. And finally, and they never asked, they never gave a budget. Finally, I was like, okay, we're going to have to sit down and yeah. figure this out. Um, so you're, but you're so right. It really is hard figuring out pricing, even for a small job. It's well, hard because to also know. too, you have to take into consideration like that wow factor, you know, mm -hmm. 
that's that's an element too. Like, uh, uh, you know, you might like be like, okay, I, I'm going to guesstimate this is going to take me a hundred hours. Let's just say I'm sure it would take take you more than that, but just for ease of numbers. And I I pay myself fifty dollars an hour. But then you finish it and it's so grand and it's going to be there for a long time. Like you want to like add like a grand tax on there too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, it was so hard with them because I didn't know when I gave them the price, if they were going to be like, you're crazy. That's an insane number. Or yeah. if they'd be like, we're getting a bargain. I didn't even have a ballpark. Yeah. And you're you're right. Like they, so right across on campus, there's a Chihuly, Yes. but he's like super famous. He, there's, he has a museum in Seattle. He has a glass blowing school in Seattle. So like, that's that, of course he has that wow tax in there, that grandeur tax. Cause he's famous Yeah. and it's so grand, but, but here I am being like, well, I need to do that too. I need to pretend like I'm Chihuly and come in with <laughs> yeah you gotta you know. like, fake it till you make it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah because I don't want them to be like wait she's charging what so the way we went about it um my partner Rob he's acting as project manager on mm-hmm. the whole project for me and sort of being has been through the past year my studio manager which is so great having him help he's really analytical loves making a database for anything um and you know he's really he loves doing accounting and making sure everything's checked and balanced Ooh, we all need one we all need a rob if you're listening which i'm sure you will uh neely's gonna pass on my phone number because um <laughs> i need you yeah he's he is the best i wouldn't i literally would not be able to do this project without him um because i'm the opposite i don't think that way at all it takes me weeks to Same. return an email it takes me forever if I don't have auto pay on bills they don't get paid like it I just don't care about that stuff at all and he actually enjoys it so I don't even feel bad when I say hey figure out how to get this whatever figure out the square footage on this or whatever so the way we did it is for this big project he made a database and thought of everything we were going to need and every expense and estimated um you know how much foil how many pounds of solder how much glass and and I kind of did the same thing just with my loosey-goosey feeling of years of experience I've had pricing things I kind of have a square footage and then I kind of adjust that square foot price based on how how complicated it's going to be how how much time I think it's going to take which is hard of course hard to estimate but um so I kind of went on the highest end of my square foot price. Um, and he did all this complicated deep database and he, you know, he, he estimated, we both estimated how much time it would take. And I think he came out of it from a couple angles, which he can do with his database. He said, you know, if it's going to take X amount of time, how much money do you want to need to earn in this amount of time need to earn so that you can live and you know, what's the ideal price a deal income to have for this amount of time and kind of work backwards from that mm. to, to get the expenses um, to see, you know, to see what, what profit there would be after all of the expenses, which he tallied up. Um, so I, I don't even know everything that he did, but long story short, he, we came up with a very, very similar number, me doing just the square footage and my oh. rough idea of. Got it. Okay. So high, you guys were both like, 
working separately and then came together. It's like the, like a reality show where you like hold up the car to see if somebody (laughs) else has the same answer. Yeah. We had, we were like, let's sit down and have a meeting and figure this out because we need to get a price to them. So we know that this is even happening. Um, And yeah, so, and we came up with really, really close in numbers. So because of that, we felt good. We felt like we're in the right place. And Mm -hmm. then whatever the reaction was, the reaction was great to us. They were like, yeah, sure. But whatever their private conversation about it was, if they were like, she's crazy, we're really spending a lot on this, or she's crazy, we're getting this for mm-hmm. a, a, a song, um, whatever they felt about it doesn't matter because we did the um, enough thought into it, enough time that we feel like we're getting um, getting paid well, making a profit, and mm-hmm. you know, and we're getting paid enough that I can buy this cool depression glass and use, I'm using mm-hmm. a lot of um, Lambert's glass in there, which is very expensive. And so we kind of factored that in too. It's not even like, I want to get paid because I want to get, want to get paid and live large off of it. Yeah. I wanted to get paid enough that I could make it the way yeah. I wanted to make it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had a, um, a recent uh, commission inquiry. Um, I don't know if it's going to go forward or not, but I went to her house and I took measurements of the window and she had like um, a list of specific colors that she wanted. She wanted like eight colors in it. Um, Big requests for how it was all going to be. And it was a big piece. So I would have to go buy those, you know, that glass specifically. I don't have pieces that big of that color. And, um, and then I sent her the quote and she uh, responded with, wow, well, if I was thinking it was going to be this, it was like half what it was. I think that that's something worth mentioning is that people don't realize sometimes a, how expensive glass is, especially in bulk, like big sheets of it. If you're very specific about the kind of glass that you want, but you mentioned copper foil, that's not cheap solder. That's not cheap. I did this piece. Um, I'm pointing at it. Like everybody can see it, but um, it's six feet by two feet. It was in the show. And I used six spools of solder. Like all the materials for stained glass are very expensive. It is not an inexpensive hobby. It's not as simple as like, you know, not that this can be, I know there's expensive paint, but it's not a piece of canvas and paint and then you're done. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And glass can be really expensive and it can range quite a bit. So it's, so that's something to definitely think about when you're, you know, you can't just have a flat square foot price no. that you calculate for people. Cause so you calculated your price in as, um, so this is interesting to me. So you did it folded into the entire quote. You did, did you itemize it at all for them? Like, did you say like, these are for my materials and this is for me. You just said one nope. number. Yeah, just one number. They didn't ask for it. We just gave them the one number. The only thing that's not included in that is delivery, installation. They're, they're going to be fabricating a, um, a curtain wall that's going to house the stained glass. So I'm going to be working with the people who fabricate that to do the installation. Um, so travel costs for bringing it down there and packing and shipping costs we did not put into the quote and we just wrote in our contract that that would be actual costs so we will just show receipts for any of those actual costs and how do you ship that down do you have it like (laughs) we haven't figured that out yet okay we have not figured it out we just rob just um built some crates that are perfect they 
so it's all constructed in panels 22 inch panels so it's not like okay. we're shipping this whole room down there or the big wall it's all in panels that will go into this curtain wall so it's not actually not that complicated of a build it's just 68 of these panels which is a lot yes but but it's just building 22 inch square windows so okay. it's, it's manageable um but, but so rob just built some crates that um will house i think six or eight of them depending on how thick they are with the glass inserts the um the depression glass that's in there um so those crates will go probably in a moving truck we'll probably hire someone to do it um, insurance is really challenging when you're shipping glass a lot of people won't insure glass so we found a third a while ago for shipping other projects we found a third party um the collectible society i think it's called rob found this for me um, they insure for glass because ups doesn't uh fedex doesn't um dhl does not insure for glass specifically so with this many panels you probably you hired some people to help you i'm assuming i did it's the first time ever i've had anyone uh working with me working on my projects so it was uh it's been a learning process for me because i'm a little bit of a control freak about my work so yeah. um so it was difficult but it's also been great it's so great i have um four artists who come in just a couple days a week um so i can have i have a couple days by myself where i'm kind of prepping for them to come i'm doing all the cutting because it's cutting's my favorite part i love cut, selecting the glass and cutting the glass and laying it out and making sure it's all looking the way I want it to look. And then the rest of the process, I'm happy to now that I've gotten used <laughs> to it. I'm happy to pass on and let people, other people get their hands on it. So a couple of days a week, I am cutting, selecting glass, which you know can take a really long time too. There's so many colors in this piece and I can spend an hour just debating if it's this droopy thing is orange or red. Yeah, or same, same. So that is long and slow. So it's not great to have employees around waiting for me to pick a color. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I um I actually always have that like a really hard time with people because people ask often like, well, how much do you, you know, how long does it take you for you to make a piece? And I dread that question because I feel like I, unlike my mother-in-law, who's very like, like Rob in terms of like spreadsheets and she's very calculated and, and a very, like a big, you know, she's got a math mind. One piece that let's just say, you know, 10 by 10, it can take me like 30 minutes to be like, I know what I want, like, you know, get it done. And then the next one, it'll take me like a full day in the studio, just standing in front of glass and like picking things up and laying them down and being like, no, that's not right. Just the selection of glass is the the longest step for me too. Yeah, it, it, it is. And sometimes it even requires going for a walk or going for a swim, leaving, coming back. Yeah. And then sometimes the answer is revealed after you get out of the space for a while. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that definitely is challenging. But um, how did you find the people that are working for you? So I, I was worried. I was really worried that I wasn't going to find anyone and I, I needed help. It's, yeah. it's a lot. Um, so it's a lot of foiling. <laughs> yes. Um, and I've done most of the foiling. I like foiling because it's, I just sit in front of the TV. It's, it's like knitting or something. So I've done most of the foiling, but I have had help with foiling. Lots of help with grinding because I do not like grinding and um, 
help a soldering, which I was nervous about, most nervous about. Because, yeah. Um, I aim for really, really nice, neat, clean soldering. And I didn't know if I'd be able to get you have people. some of the cleanest soldering I have seen. I'm such a huge fan of your soldering. So I can imagine that would be real, real tough to find somebody that could like present as you. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely was nervous about it. But then I also dialed back my perfection a little bit. It didn't need to be perfect, perfect, perfect. Some of these pieces, the wall is 10 feet high. So the panels that are up there at 10 feet, they're not going to be looked at very, I need, I'm pretty, I'm asking for close to perfect, but I'm also releasing a little bit of the, the reins. Um, so Instagram was how I found people. I, so I didn't know if I was going to find people. And then um, I put a post on Instagram saying I was hiring and I got way more responses than I thought I would. Wow. So responses. And they had to be local. Yes. Well, I had this idea that I would um, maybe have visiting artists. People come for a week and work and then leave. That was an idea because I didn't think I'd find enough local people. But, but then I did, I had more than enough local people. Like a residency. But yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was thinking just like week-long residencies. It's, you know, most of the project is getting done summertime. So I thought that might be easier for people. So I had this one gal, Lauren Barnes, she's Poplar Brook Arts on Instagram. And I think that's her business name, Poplar Brook. Um, she's down in Maryland. She had previously come up to visit for a workshop and I knew I really, really liked her work. So I invited her to come up for a week and she was great. It was like the first week that I had people here helping. So we really got a lot done. So she was not my only visiting resident. The rest are local and they're wonderful. It's so great. One gal lives right down the street. So even if I just needed like a box of stuff foiled, she can come pick it up, foil it, bring it back. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds like great. a dream to have a box show up with foiled pieces for me. I'm like. Is this, is this Santa Claus? <laughs> is that your least favorite part, foiling? Um, I always start, I mean, for big projects. I don't know. I feel like, honestly, my least favorite thing is doing one thing for too long. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. when I start grinding, I'm like, I can get down with this. I'm feeling meditative. Like this like little dance I'm doing with my hands and pressure with a grind. Like I'm into it. And then like on piece, like, you know, seven or eight, I'm like, Oh, just get it done. Like, you know, and the yeah. same thing with, with foiling. I'm just like, I'm ready for like the next step. Yeah. I, I understand that. That's one of the fun things about stained glass though, is that you do get to change it up step by yeah. step. My least favorite, I think is soldering. So I'm super happy to have. have really? Yeah. So interesting. I get, I get pretty bored. I mean, mm -hmm. I get bored grinding too, but I mean, I, I like every step. I, yeah. Obviously, I or I wouldn't have stuck with stained glass for, for my whole career, but um, I'm really thrilled to have help with soldering. Yeah. Because it's slow. It, it takes time. And um, so um, this gal, Carissa, who lives not too far from here, she is hot trash glass on Instagram. She, <laughs> she and her sister. Kenny, you were just saying she was hot trash. <laughs> she's not, she is. She Krista, is she's hot, hot trash. She is not, it wasn't good. <laughs> she is amazing. She's so great. She's so fast and just, she's just like ha works happily, quietly, just gets stuff done. So it's thrilling that I have her help and, um, 
another gal that I, that took a workshop with me. So it was kind of cool that I had met a lot of the people who responded. Most of the people who ended up coming to work. Well, I have four and three of them I had met previously just from um, workshops or an open studio that I had here. So, um, so I kind of was familiar with their work a little bit. So they um, were stained glass artists and then they took your workshop because yeah. I'm telling you, I teach too. And a lot of people, I wouldn't be like, I know. <laughs> yeah. I've done a bunch of beginner courses, you know, or, or, and you know, a lot of the times when I'm teaching, it's just people who just want a fun weekend thing. They yeah. don't want to do it. But then there are the other people who are like, no, I really want to pursue this art form and take the class and then continue with it and yeah, um, have impressed me. So, you know, the people that I have coming here have, have done more than just a workshop with me, yeah. you know, are, are yeah. making their own work. And so it's going well. That's really cool. Um, yeah. So now, and this is probably, did you factor in the help with, um, with their salaries with in the budget? Yeah. With Rob's handy spreadsheet, we were able to just determine like how many hours they're working, how that cuts into profit and how many, but how many hours it saves me, you know? So he, he kind of has the, the whole budget broken down by like man hours, whether it's and the timeline broken down by man hours, whether it's, you know, four girls working one day or one girl working four days, you know, he can right. kind of like adjust by that. And so far we're under budget for employees, which is good because that means I can, um, your dog just walked in. Yeah. <laughs> I know so he was curious. sleeping the whole time. And I was like, oh. it's supposed to be so quiet in here. And I was like, oh God, he's, in here. he's, he's been sleeping there the whole time. Oh, sweet. So, oh, so we're under budget for employees, uh, which is so awesome because now I know that like, if I'm feeling tired, if I, I, I know that there's room for me to have more help, which is really yeah. comforting because yeah. I'm, I, it's, I've been working really long days on this yeah. and not taking much time off. So I might be handing more work off to my girls. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's go over their handles real quick so people can can keep an eye on them. Okay. We have hot trash. A hot trash glass. That's <laughs> Carissa. She does really cute pet portraits. And oh, lately she's been doing really interesting things with overlay, with copper foil overlay. So mm. definitely check out her work. It's it's really cool. Um, early girl glass is Jody. She's right down the street. She um, doesn't have a ton of experience. She's doing lots of cute sun catchers and things. So um, Michi is, I think it's paper at paper Michi, M-I-C-H-I. Okay. Um, she used to be really, do a lot of paper cutting. So I think that's why she's got the old handle of paper Michi. She should change it to glass Michi because she's doing really cool glass work, really interesting personal projects. Um, and she's been a real help for me. She's in Jersey city. So she's traveling a little bit, to, about an hour to come out just one or two days a week for me. Um, and then Allie, who is doing really interesting work too. And her handle is so told creative, all one word, so told creative. Cool. So, um, so they're my team and they feel like a team and they are so enthusiastic. It's, it's great. I think they all are not really here coming here for the job, for the paycheck. Right. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to make the project larger and pay people and, and get them 
the experience of working in the studio with me, but I think they're all really here for the experience, which is so great. They are just like soaking up everything they can and working really hard for me. So I'm really happy to have them. Uh, hopefully we'll all get to go down to Kentucky at some point if we have a party to, you know, reveal the space or, or even yeah. to celebrate. Yeah. You guys all definitely should go there for that. I feel like you, yeah, a hundred percent. It'll be, it'll be fun. They're fun girls too. So it'll be a big party. We haven't been drinking the maker's mark in the studio yet. So we're about to finish. So there's a long one, long wall, and then one's short wall. And we're almost finished with the long wall. So we'll have to um, have a couple of cocktails to celebrate that. Yes. I like that milestones. So you're on this big project with maker maker's mark. You just finished another huge project, or are you finished with it? It is um, almost finished. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about the book. I'm ready. We're talking I'm about the book. Yes. Book. It's called Kicking Glass, and it's going to come out in March, mid March. I think the 15th or something is the publication date. Um, so the manuscript was delivered in April. A couple weeks before the manuscript was due, I went down to Kentucky for the final presentation of the design for this project. So March and April, March was crazy for me because I was, you know, getting towards the end of, of the of the book with manuscript being due and getting ready to go present this scale design for the oh makers project. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> it was it was a lot all at once. It was a lot of big scary things all at once. Like I've I've now been a couple of years of constantly being outside of my comfort zone mm-hmm. with work. Um, and it's great. Things get easier and easier each time you have to do it. Every time I have to have a Zoom call with an architect or with an editor, it's easier. But it's yeah. definitely not in my comfort zone. So, yeah. um, but so the book is in the editing process. The manuscript has been in. We got one draft of... Um, of it back from the graphic designer. So we've seen kind of how it's going to look like. And we had to give back our comments to them, to the graphic design so they can change things. Um, It's so interesting because this graphic designer doesn't know how to do stained glass. Right. You know, so Well, and also, you know, some graphic design and you've also been selling your designs your patterns. Yeah. On- so it's actually Rob that does all the patterns for me. I do, I design everything by hand, completely by hand, pencil and then marker. Um, Same. So how did you even come to the idea of making a book about stained glass? I mean, it makes sense that it would be about stained glass, yeah. but like, how did you, you, you were already teaching. So it's sort of an extension mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. Well, you probably know, and most of the listeners that do stained glass probably know that they're are no recent stained glass books. Mm -mm, mm -mm. There hasn't been one for years. So, I mean, the knowledge doesn't go stale. It's the same process, but the projects, just the look of it, they feel very dated, every book that's out there. So so that's really where the idea came from, just seeing that that there was a hole in the market, that there was a need for it. Um, So I worked up a book proposal. I did a ton of research, just hours and hours and hours of just researching like how do you write a book how do you get a book published what's the process and I learned that for nonfiction books what you do is write a book proposal which is a 
pretty complex document. I think mine ended up being something like 30 pages of um, author profile and platform, like basically explaining to selling to them why you're the right person to write this book. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it needs, and you need actual data in there. So, I mean, you need any, anything you've ever had published, all of your you know, follower accounts on social media, the actual numbers, because they want to know that you're going to bring people yeah. to buy this okay. book. Yeah. Um, so that goes in the book proposal. And then um, also your plans for marketing it, how much, how committed you're going to be to helping sell it. So you need to write whatever ideas you have for where you think you can speak about it or, or do demos or where you, how much you want to be involved in selling the thing because they really want you the publishing companies really want you to be an active participant and you yeah. to bring people. Well, you probably have more followers than them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do. That was the really the only thing that flushed out that section for me because I don't, I haven't been published in other places. I don't, you know, do a lot of traveling and lecturing. I've done some, but, um, so really just my Instagram account was the, really my, the only, um, and it's not even that huge, but it at least was some way of showing, proving to them that I have a platform. Um, so that, and then you need in the proposal um, comparative titles, which is, a, it's, a, it's all a very financial thing on the publisher's side. Mm -hmm. They just want to know that they're going to sell the book. They want yeah. to know before they commit to making the book that it's going to sell. Yeah. So you want to show to them other books similar and they can look up how much those books have sold. How and is that since there haven't been any books similar? Well, it was really, it was challenging because you're supposed to be, you know, from everything I, I researched, you're supposed to be including books that have been published in the last four or five years and there is nothing. So <laughs> I just, I listed a few of the older, of the more recent books. Um, and then I found a couple books in the how-to craft genre that I really loved, that I really thought were beautiful and, you know, similar in my general idea of what page count photography count would would be the dream book for me and I listed those yeah um so that just to get help give potential publishers a sense of what what I was aiming for um and then also in the proposal you need um table of contents so you have to write the whole book but you need a pretty good idea of what the book is going to be so table of contents annotated with lots of detail about what's in, in each chapter and then the sample chapter so I wrote up a whole, the entire chapter on cutting glass um just to get a feel for how you write make sure that you can write and and then also a sample project so I wrote up a whole project step by step with photography so that they could get a really good sense that I'm able to teach a project just with with words not and this is before you get approved right all oh, this, this is, is even before they say yes this is before i've even reached out to any publisher editor anything so this is what you would do if you have an idea and you're going to reach out you, you there's two paths you can take you can send this out to agents or you send it out to publishers i so i've finished this thing up with no input from any professionals and sent it out to a whole bunch of agents. Cause I figured it'd be nicer to have an agent. They can negotiate your deal. Mm -hmm. They can, um, put it in front of the, the best eyes that will mm -hmm. have the best chance of, of wanting to buy the book. Um, I got nothing, nothing back from any agents. 
And then, so then I sent it directly to a couple publishers and had some chats, some interest, some back and forth, but essentially nothing really um, panned out. After all so, that work, were you after like- After all that work, I put so much into it and I was like, okay, so maybe this isn't a good idea. And then Maker's Mark calls and this project comes up and I'm like, okay, let's shelve the whole book idea. I don't really have time to do it anyway. And then I get a call from, uh, from Claire at Bloomsbury Publishing, Bloomsbury Books saying, hey, have you ever thought about writing a stained glass book? Got an email out of the blue. <laughs> You're like, well, actually, uh, yeah. let me shoot this over to you real quick. And she's probably like, her mind is blown because all the work's been done her mind was blown. She's like, this has never happened before. Just this serendipitous thing where like, here you go, here's the proposal. Um, but of course it doesn't end there. She had to like the proposal and then she had to put it in front of her editorial team to mm-hmm. see if they all like the proposal. And then they have to put it in front of the financial team to see if they think that the book will actually make money. Mm-hmm. So it was another you know, month of sort of waiting on their meetings to see if if they wanted to buy the book. And then finally they made, they did make an offer. They said they wanted to, to do the book, which is so exciting. But then you're like, okay, so now I have to negotiate this offer and I don't have an agent. Here we go again. Here we yeah, go again yeah. with, the, with the figuring out the numbers. Yes, it was crazy. Um, I, I did all the photography for it too, because there's so much photography. I would have had to have a live-in photographer to mm-hmm. take every step of all the process. So. Mm-hmm. So I did that. So I had to, you know, come up with a photography budget and the illustration budget. Um, so it was, it was scary. It was very, very out of my element of just yeah. me. What, what, do you have any resources you can share with people in terms of like, is it just Google when you're like, I don't know how to do this next thing. Do I, you, do you just Google it and then kind of like follow leads there or? Yeah. A lot of Googling things. Yeah. And then we also, so our publisher, I think there's something similar in the United States, but because our Bloomsbury Publishing is based in England, they have offices in New York, but the contract is, was through England. Um, I had to, I ended up joining the society, the British Society of Authors, oh. which is this amazing <laughs> organization. They, if you join them, they will look over any contract and look for problems let you know if there's anything that you're not missing cool. out on. You need to have a contract in in process to join the society or have been published in order to join the society. But because I had the contract, I was able to join. Um, and so I had them look over the contract, which was amazing to have their help. I, I don't know what I would have done without it. I would have probably just signed the thing and just hoped for the best, but they had really great advice for me. So that was a really good resource. And I'm sure there's something similar within the United States. Um, That was good. And then just a lot, yeah, just a lot of, there's tons of information out there about the publishing industry, tons of blogs I found and um, it was great, but I would have loved an agent to help me through that whole process. But I don't think there's a lot of money in uh, how-to books and craft and how-to books. I don't think they're never going to become bestsellers. You know, they're not going to be- but you know that they'll always have somewhat limited audience compared to like I don't know right like a nonfiction yeah yeah so I don't think there are many agents who sort of specialize in that in that type of book I was I wasn't able to find anybody um but it would have been nice to have someone holding my hand through the process yeah 
Um, but so we, I got it done. Again, Rob was instrumental in getting this book done. He, uh, that Rob pulling through again. Yes. Yes. So he's a grammar nerd. He's been tutoring SATs for 20 something years. So he is like, he's got the grammar down. So I could write a little more stream of consciousness, hand it over to him, have him make it all work. Yes. It was amazing having his help on that. Um, to the point where I'm trying to figure out something, something, some credit for him, like short of co-writer, but something where he gets credited. He was that involved in it. Yeah, definitely me. a dedication. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, something a little even more than that, so he could maybe something that could go on a resume. Something. Oh, buy your buy your house a new roof or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if everyone buys the book, maybe <laughs> the book's going to be really, really cool. It's got so the first half is just all of the instructions, you know, the tools, how to use the tools, just basically how to do stained glass all copper foil method we didn't okay. get into lead there just wasn't space for it and I do lead work but I mostly do copper foil so I wanted to stick with what I really really know and what people know me for um, and then the second half is a whole bunch of fun projects some maybe that you've seen spin-offs on things that you maybe have seen me make before and then some like completely brand new yeah. And then also scattered through the book, I wanted to bring in more voices than just mine. So throughout the book, there's a couple featured artist pages, which was thrilling to me to be able to reach out to these other artists and say, hey, do you want to be in my book? Will you help me make this even better book? So yes. that's a real treat for me to have these other artists included. That's awesome. That's how I feel with this podcast. I feel like I'm, I have this project and um, it's given me like a real, like good reason to reach out to people who I really admire and be like, I want you to be, I want you to be a part of this. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, um, kind of solidifying this community that sort of exists on Instagram or in DMS, but kind of like bringing that social media community into like real life things. It's, it's really yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so where are you at right now with the book? So it's done. It's done. It's we're waiting for um, one more. So the revisions we made with the graphic designer are just certain things like, you know, like I said, because she doesn't know stained glass. So we have the steps listed out and the batch of photos that go with those steps. And then some of those were mixed up because, you know, how would she know what I'm trying to say? Right when I'm just like showing how to hold a glass cutter, for example, or something like that. Right. So we had some revisions with her. We're waiting for those revisions back. And we're, then we're also waiting for um, the copy editing back. Right. And then we review the copy editing and then it's, and then, uh, then it's done, done. Then it goes oh to print. Yeah. So it, it should be going to print. I think they said September. Apparently a lot of things are going really weird in the publishing industry right now because of that that ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal. Oh, yes. <laughs> Apparently all books are behind because of that ship and probably some COVID things too. But so every, everything's behind schedule. So they're trying to move up the schedule on their end so it gets to print sooner so that it'll get back, get printed on, get released on a release date, which is March. Okay, March. Yeah. All right, yeah. everybody set your calendar. Can we pre-order the book anywhere? Yes, yeah. So pre-orders, we haven't figured it out yet, but it should be the end of September. So kind of coming up, you know, not too long. So we'll, end of September, we'll do a cover release. I've seen the cover, but I haven't seen it final, final. Um, it's cute. It's really cute. So um, I will, of course, 
let everyone know. I hope you'll all pre-order because I think it's really important for yes, sales. It, is. it shows the publisher that there's going to be interest. So they'll back it more and, and hopefully, you know, do a lot more push to sell and maybe get me out there traveling a little bit more to push it if you do a lot of pre-orders. So I hope, I hope listeners will pre-order it. I've gotten such enthusiasm about it so far. So many people have told me they're excited about it. So. I'm excited about it. Can I have a signed copy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, we're we're going to figure out how to do the signed copies for the pre-orders, either shipped from here or maybe shipped from a local bookshop or something. Okay, so cool. All of that will be, I'll let y'all know about that as much as I can. And what do you think, what was your most gratifying step of making this book? Of the book? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it was really good working with Rob on this. Mm-hmm. I know I keep talking about him. (laughs) It's been amazing working with him on it because for, we've been together 20 years, 21 years. Um, We've, our professional lives have always been really separate. He's never really been involved in my stained glass work or anything. So it was a a learning process. There were a lot of fights and tears, Mm -hmm. but then by the time we got to the end, we were working together so well and it felt, it was really great. It was like, it kind of brought our relationship to a new place. So so that was very gratifying. Yeah. I love that. I work with my, I mean, obviously, you know, you guys won't see this part, but my husband was on here with us before we started recording, like helping me with all the tech stuff. And so that gives me hope. (laughs) We're still in the stage of being like, I don't know if we can do this together, but um, yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Um, Well, you're definitely one of my favorite artists, but do you have a favorite artist? um stained glass or anything open-ended um well in stained glass um I don't know if you're familiar with Theodore Ellison no oh his stuff I just love his work I absolutely love his work he's on Instagram I think it's Theodore Ellison designs um he he's in California I think he's in like Pasadena he's wherever they have the all those green and green houses and those craftsmen homes and he does that beautiful craftsman style work. It's just, it is stuff's just so, so perfect to me. A lot of natural elements, but stylized. And he does a lot of work also with other craftspeople and furniture makers and carpenters and architects. So he is very integrated into these beautiful home, handmade homes. Um, Incredible. I um, also really lately been into, and I posted about this on Instagram. I think it's Ivand Earl. I think it's pronounced Ivand. He um, worked for Disney. He's he's passed, I think, in the seventies, but he worked for Disney throughout his whole career and did all the background scenes. But he also, you know, did his own paintings. And then they they publish um, all of those background scenes of those of those Disney movies, like Sleeping Beauty and stuff. They're just so beautiful, and they're so stylized and sort of um I don't know look him up there I've really okay. really been into him lately I will that's um, so cool yeah his stuff is just really I feel like it would translate really great into stained glass too because it's a lot of um shape beautiful shapes mm-hmm. creating a scene so so yeah that's a couple people I'm really into yeah I love that this has been an incredibly busy year for you. Like you have really just thrown yourself into it. You're hustling so hard. I'm so proud of you for everything that you're doing. Um, what are your five to 10 year goals? What do you think? Where do you, where do you see yourself going from here? Cause you're 
you're doing some pretty big stuff. I know it, it has been a lot the past few years. I'd actually love to get back to just just making a beautiful, a beautiful couple of pieces, maybe going more the fine art route and maybe gallery show, a whole show of pieces I would love to. I've never done, kind of gone that way in my career. I've sold at shops, uh, little things, but I'd maybe just make a collection of just work that I want to make and not yeah. do commission for a little bit. Yeah, I think I would love that after this project. I'd also love to travel a whole bunch after this project, maybe do some residencies where you can just um, I've been keeping a collection of all these cool places that do residencies where you can just focus on your project, you know, cool. just be in a beautiful place and focus on your work. Um, so I'd love to do that over the next few years. Yeah. So I don't have any big lofty goals about projects. It's just about a bit more about getting back to just the work that just comes out of me without, you know, without a client. Yeah. Kind of full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And then see what happens with that. Maybe of course I'll, I'll, I'll continue to take commissions, but just kind of. Yeah. I love that. I love the full circleness of it all. (laughs) Um, so you told us a few of your favorite artists. Is there anybody out there that you want to nominate to be on the podcast or who you just want to hear talk about their work? Yeah, I think that, um, do you know Patrick Hurley? He's Pizza Donkey on Instagram. Yeah, I think I do, actually. He, I, I think he would be great. I've watched him do a couple of like IG lives where he, he's, he, he speaks really well about pricing and he speaks really well about um, originality, not copying. Yeah. Um, he can be blunt, but I mean, some people need to hear it. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? With Instagram specifically, is that everybody has your portfolio right in their pocket, and it's uh, it's good to share your work. That it comes with the dark side of it too, and a big part of that is the. I mean, a photo of a piece is essentially the pattern of a piece, the first stained glass. You know, so it's not that hard to just copy it. Um, So, and he has a lot to say about that, and he his work is really interesting. His work feels like no one else's it's his it's just um kind of comes from his his brain so um so I think he would be a a really great guest he'd have a lot to contribute I also think perhaps um Flannery Cronin from Friend of All Glass she's coming is she yes yes I I spoke with her on the phone the other day awesome Mm -hmm. because I feel like she will speak really well she has a lot of experience selling I think she can speak really a lot to the to the business side of it. She she knows wholesale. She knows pricing for wholesale and having a storefront and and then also she has just an interesting creative journey and such a f- clear focus and a clear mm-hmm. um, product line that's so identifiable as her. So I think I, that'll be a fun one. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah, I know. Me too. Well, Patrick, if you're listening, you've been summoned. <laughs> So Neely, tell people where they can find you. Well, on Instagram, I'm Neely Cooper. It's uh, N-E-I-L-E-C-O-O-P-E-R, all one word. Um, my website is Glass Cabin Studio. That needs an overhaul. <laughs> it hasn't been updated in a long time, but that's my website. Um, and you can, there's a um, email contact link through there. Come on, Rob. Um, Rob, are you listening? I, yeah, that's his next project. As soon as he gets these, the crates built and yeah, he, he's on it. 
Okay, good. <laughs> um, uh, and that's it. I don't do any other social media. Neely, this has been really fun for me. Thank you so much for joining me. And I, I, um, I will continue to be your number one fan. You truly are such a joy. I cannot wait to see the finished project with Maker's Mark. I can't wait to get my hands on my signed copy of Kicking Glass, your new book. And I hope to see you again soon, maybe on tour. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Thank you. All right, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. To see more of Neely's work, again, you can follow her on Instagram at Neely Cooper. It's N-E-I-L-E-C-O-O-P-E-R. And to see my work and what I'm doing, maybe see who will be on the podcast next. My Instagram is at Runa Glassworks, R-U-N-A-G-L-A-S-S-W-O-R-K-S. Thank you to each and every one of you who has listened. And if you are listening to this in an audio format, don't forget to watch it as well on my YouTube channel. There, you can see us speaking as well as get a visual of all the beautiful things we speak about. And if you could also like, comment, and subscribe. I know that's such a generic thing to say at the end of a podcast, but to be honest, I'm trying to make the best content possible to connect and enrich this glass community in a way that social media can't, and in a way none of us have seen yet. All right, my little crackheads, see you soon.